Welcome to the Who is God podcast. I am Thaddeus Funk, and this is my journey of learning more about who God is um, and understanding his character and understand that if a being, a God or a man or a dog, if a being has a particular character, they will do certain things. And as I learn more about the character of God, I learn to, to understand that he acts certain ways and does certain things. And that oftentimes it's hard for us to understand what he's doing or understand what is this mind of God. And that's what this journey is about. That's what the podcast is about, is trying to understand how God is is working, what's important to him, what he cares about, and how he responds. And so with that, I'm taking the opportunity. Um, many of you have maybe already heard the interview that I did with George Markaikis, um, who is here from Greek, uh, from Greek, from Greece. Um, and I know George has a different perspective on what's happening in America, what's happening around the world. And so I've asked him to take some time and share with us uh, a little bit about what he sees. So given all of this, uh, George, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your perspective and, and maybe a little bit of a framework. I'll, I'll start with my own. One of the things that I looked at as we came through covid of churches in America being shut down and us not being able to gather, um, and then America opening up again post-COVID and churches beginning to gather. And I know across the country, um, attendance is down in churches. But when I walk into a church and I look around, what I see is the people that are in the churches today are passionate about their relationship with God. They're not coming because it makes them look good in the community. They're not coming because it's convenient. Um, I know I grew up hearing a lot about uh, C&E Christians, those who came at Christmas and Easter, and that's the only time you ever saw them in a church. Um, but what I felt like was this, this image that God has used COVID to clear away, to blow away the chaff, um, and that what's left is, I don't know if the right word is remnant, um, I know that has a, a a large, impactful meaning to use the word remnant. I don't know if that's a remnant that's left, but I see God moving in dramatic ways. Um, I hear pastors talking about persecution in China and in other countries where those who believe in God are persecuted and the church just grows tremendously. Um, I see sometimes where a lot of Americans believe that uh, – God has been pushed out of the schools and out of the government and out of the marketplace. Um, and they feel like they're starting to, to feel a little bit of that persecution, although nothing like what's happening around the rest of the world. But I do see that persecution oftentimes spurs spiritual growth. Um, that's a little bit of my perspective. So I believe and start to see that there is God's alive and well and working in America. Um, what do you see from your perspective? I think I'd like to go back in time a little bit to give a macroscopic perspective as I see it. I'd like to go back to 2009. At the time, there was a lot of talk about the American dollar collapsing. I don't remember the right words, but it had to do something with a new currency across the Americas. At the time, there was all kinds of talk bringing fear in the hearts of people. Mm. Of course, nothing happened. And all that talk vanished like smoke as it came, so it went. As it usually does. Everything that is meant to instill fear usually vanishes in thin air. And then people forget all about it. Very much like all the prophecies about the second coming of Jesus that have given dates that Jesus is coming at that time. Jesus never came until now. And nobody held accountable all those people who were saying those things. Likewise, all those people who were saying about the American dollar collapsing and everything, nobody held them accountable for the foolish things they were saying. So there is a lot of effort, conscious effort to promote fear, to instill fear. Really, you cannot really hold anyone accountable because Satan is behind it all and the forces mm. of darkness. But going back to 2009, towards the end of 2009, 
The Lord was speaking to me about the decade that was coming, which at that time was the decade of 2010 onwards. And as in America, a lot of people were saying America is collapsing, the American dollar is collapsing, we are losing our world domination and all that fear going on and people worried about losing their prosperity. And I think there was the, the crash, the economic crash, the bubble that, you know, popped back then in 2008 or whatever. In the midst of all that, when the Lord was speaking to me about the decade of 2010, not only for America, but first for my nation, for Europe, and he also spoke to me about America, he told me that, of course, nothing was going to happen to the economy of America because he needs the economy of America to fund the world missions that come out of the American church. Hmm. And as history has proven, can I just want to pause right there? Sure. He needs, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hesitate. Put an asterisk on needs. He needs the economy of America to fund what his work around the rest of the world. Well, I hope you know that America has funded the translation of the Bible in hundreds, if not thousands, of languages in the recent generation or generations. That there are missions organizations that fund missionaries around the world. Hmm. Really, in the last hundred years or so, the gospel has gone around the world because of Americans. Right. Now, per capita, the number one sending nation is Norway, but they are five million people. So naturally, if they send a number of people that per capita is very high, that's per capita significant, but nothing comes close to, I, I've never heard a number but my experience would be the thousands of missions coming out of the States. Mm -hmm. Okay? Right. So, look, God works in long-term, through a long-term perspective. He builds a culture by which he can promote the kingdom. Mm. Now, I could take you back in history, how he developed after the, the Jews and after the, the Hebrew mindset that brought the revelation of God, he then developed the Hellenistic mindset and the Hellenistic language, the Greek language, Alexander the Great, the Hellenistic Empire, to establish a foundation which then he took to the next level through the Roman Empire, without which the gospel could not go anywhere. If right. the whole world at the time spoke different languages, and if every mile there was an enemy tri tribe trying to kill you, you the gospel would go nowhere. Right. But the Pax Romana in combination with the Greek language was the language of the empire of the East and then with the Latin becoming the language of the West, that it was easy to bring the gospel to the world. Fast forward, through the different empires, the gospel has really spread throughout the world. The most recent empire is the American empire. Right. And the economy, but also the church mindset, the church culture, has generated funds for the gospel. Right. I mean, in America, it's so easy to be funded for mission. It's like so easy that to me it's mind-boggling. You don't even need to prove that God has called you and you can get funded for missions. Right. And you may not even be anointed and you get funded for missions. And you get funded with funds which are more than many pastors around the world cannot even imagine for a year's salary. Right. Uh, annual salary. So what I'm saying, there is an entire culture that God has created through the world, through the secular environment, but that funds the work of the kingdom. Now, you have to be able to see the work of the kingdom in the world through the culture to understand that. You have to be able to come out of the religious mindset of the Sunday church and see God at work in the world to be able to see that macroscopic perspective. Right. You need to be able to see even God at work through things that many people think are an abomination. And I'm even hesitant to quote specifics, but even through things that by the religious mindset you consider abominations, but you can see the kingdom perspective, how God uses those as means by which to bring the gospel to places and to people groups. That without those things, the gospel would never reach those places. Mm. It's, I understand it's a totally different perspective than what most churches have because most of the churches and most of the people have 
the filter of the me, myself, and I salvation. That the gospel, God, and whatever pertains to God has to do with my salvation. So, so a moment ago there, you talked about things happening that would allow the gospel to come. And, and, and what came to my mind was all the wars in Africa that provide the opportunity for us to give food, send aid, and along with that aid, the, oftentimes the people carrying that aid are carrying a Bible and carrying the gospel with them. Is that uh, kind of where you're... To say yes with an actual example that I have become aware of, and, and, and I cannot... I'm, I'm not going to go into detail. I don't have the right to do so. But I've met the person, an American guy, who, by means of bringing aid, physical aid, with containers of needed things into Indonesia, this person gained access to the Indonesian government in such a way that he has personally led to the Lord almost every Indonesian government official with whom he has been in contact. And they have told him that there are probably more than 30% born-again Christians in Indonesia, which is the largest Muslim nation in the world. Hmm. But that they're keeping it like under wraps. They don't want this to become well-known because they're afraid of the Muslim reaction. Even so, we know that you know there are some violent reactions. But what I'm saying is, there was one American guy that God used to unlock Indonesia. And mm. I know that story, and very few people know that story. I just happened to have the privilege to be present in a place where this person gave his testimony with details. Mm. Okay? And I just happened to... Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I didn't even shake his hand. I was just there and I was listening. But I'm saying, yes, God has used the United States of America to do things that other nations do not have the capacity to do, other people groups do not have the capacity to do. Think of the English language. It's not even American per se, okay? It's coming right. out of the UK. But what I'm saying is God used the Hebrew language way back when, then he used the Greek language. He used every language, but basically in the most recent season, he's using the English language, right? which I don't only know by projection. I can tell you when I first started hearing the voice of God in English and I was living in Greece, I said, why are you speaking to me in English? And he said, because that's the anointed language for this season in the world. Hmm. See, he anoints languages, he anoints people groups, he anoints cultures, and he's using all, all of that for his kingdom. Because that's the common language that everyone speaks. As back then, people spoke Greek. Right. Okay. And, and we, go, we roll back to even before America, the, the British Empire spreading English around the world, and now we as America have just out, uh, outgrown them and, and been the predominant for just yeah. the last couple hundred years. Um, but because that became the common language of, of uh, commerce, global commerce, um, that then also becomes what I hear you saying is it's not just that's the language, but that's the common international currency. And so our currency is very easy to be able to translate to 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 provide the expenses of, of sending the gospel. If the American economy failed, the missions around the world would fail. Thousands of missions. I don't know numbers, but they must be in the thousands. Sure. Thousands of missionaries would have to come back home. Thousands of gospel-related projects would fail. Okay? I knew from the end of 2009, the American economy would not be touched. Why? Because God has anointed that to provide the finances for the work of the kingdom. So, so basically what I'm doing is I'm putting a different filter here. I'm, I'm, I'm helping us put the filter that actually God showed me, mm -hmm. the kingdom filter, that it's all about advancing the gospel of the kingdom throughout the world. Because this is what it's all about. Since 2,000 years ago, roughly, the gospel began to spread. It has continued to spread until now. It will continue to spread until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, mm. until the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall be known throughout the earth as the water covers the seas, until all those prophecies that, had not, that have not yet been fulfilled become fulfilled. Because, of course, the gospel will continue to advance until all the prophecies are fulfilled. And there are so many prophecies which have not been fulfilled. Right. Okay, probably the most important one, as 
Paul explains to us. When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, God will remove the veil from the Jews, and then they will welcome their Messiah, and then the end will be. So what I'm saying is there is an ongoing advancement of the kingdom, and the advancement of the kingdom needs money. So no matter how terrible things can be, and no matter how much fear may be coming in the hearts of people, the real perspective here is what is God doing through everything? Right. And you know, God works at different levels, works in different ways, but all that God does eventually serves the purpose of his kingdom. So for example, let's narrow that down to the individual. When the fear grips the heart of a believer, how is God in it? Funny as it may sound, what we are called to discern is that if we have fear in our hearts because of what's happening in the economy, that means we do not really have a living relationship with God. Mm. It means we do not trust him. It means the work of the Holy Spirit in us is not producing that trust, which is the definition of faith. I think, I think you probably maybe have upset a couple listeners who have said they have faith, who have said that they believe in God, but are totally enshrined and wrapped up in fear. Well, listen, you cannot have fear in which there is, well, the translation is torment, but the literal world, word colasi is also the concept of hell. Mm -hmm. You cannot have fear of your life or what happens in the world and at the same time have boldness in Christ. Just like you cannot have sadness and have the joy as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Just like you cannot hate and at the same time have love. Right. You cannot have darkness and light coexisting in the same heart. Whatever grips the heart and prevails, that's the reality in which that heart is steeped, is baptized. So if fear grips our heart, we have to see that we are in darkness. Mm. We may say that we are of the light, but if we are not the manifestation of the light... Clearly, we are in the darkness. Hmm. I've had almost a visceral, physical reaction to hearing people talk about worry and and the terrible things that will happen. Um, and it is, I think, some of that because I can't allow worry in because that's contrary to what I know about God. What I know to be true and and what God has shown himself faithful again and again and again outside of my life, but then even in my life, my life and my relationship with him, he shows himself trustworthy. He shows himself good. He shows him he shows that he continues to be in control. And how can I let fear in? Listen, it's not just because it's written in the Bible that we should not worry, but that we should make all our requests known with thanksgiving to the Lord. Uh, if we want to be simple and practical and honest, if we have fear or worry or anxiety, we are absolutely consumed by pride. Mm. Because it's everything about me, myself, and I. Because I, I care about my flesh and myself and my life in this world. That's why I worry. That's why I have fear. But, you know, if I fear for my life, then I will definitely lose my life. Those are the words of Jesus. Right. But if I am ready to let go, I'm sort of ready to die, then that's where the true life is. So if there is worry, anxiety, or fear of any kind, the first thing we need to do is repent of pride. Mm. Repent of the arrogance of life, the arrogance of this world that has prevailed and proves that our faith is theoretical, theological, and really just a bubble and not the essence that we experience. Because the essence that, we'll, that we experience has certain manifestations. And that is boldness. That is fearlessness. That is joy. That is an expression of a motivation and a drive that forces us, that pushes us, that moves us forward to continue expanding the kingdom, that brings forth joy even in the worst of moments, because even in the worst of moments, we still can see the glory of the Lord at work, even in the weakness, even in the trouble, even in the pain. And we can be of the mindset that says, Lord, how are you receiving the glory in this and through this? Mm. 
when the Goliath is there, what is really prevailing in the heart? Right. So the Lord not only allows Goliaths to come against us, I would say he sort of, sort of makes sure that the Goliaths will come there so that we can find out what's the reality that's happening in our hearts, what's manifesting out of our hearts. Right. And then his eyes go to and fro throughout the earth to find those whose hearts are loyal to him, that then he may show himself strong through them, which means those hearts which are not loyal to him, of course, fear will grip their hearts. And if you go back to the definition of the Bible of loyalty, which in Greek is the exact same word as faith, it's the exact same word as trust. You cannot differentiate the original Greek concept of faith from loyalty and trust. It's a three-dimensional concept, and it's not something that I produce out of my own strength, ability, capacity. It's something that is being it, it's being imparted to me or it's manifesting from within me because I surrender fully to the Spirit of God that is in me. And then the manifestation of the Spirit of God that is in me, the result of it is that I display that boldness that the early disciples displayed. I display that trust that I'm ready even to die without fear. I display that absolute joy even if they're killing me for the gospel why because the only thing that matters is that jesus be glorified the only thing that matters is that his will be done mm. and if like stephen the will of the lord is through his death to give the witness then i rejoice because i am at that moment fulfilling the destiny of my life right so how can i be gripped by fear can't but if i am it means I have to restore my relationship with Jesus and I need to start with repenting for pride. Pride and, and that I want control, that this is what I, that I value this more than I do God. I value myself more than I do yeah. the, the, my, my, the creation more than the creator. So you've talked about um, the economy, the American economy. You've talked about fear. And I actually went back a step because now that decade is already behind us. And now I want to move forward to more recent times because as the Lord back then explained to me that no, the American economy was not going to fail irrespective of all the tribulations and the shakings and all the budget issues that the American economy would continue to fund the work of the people of God. I, I, I purposefully did not use the word church. Well, that is a filter that we need to apply until today because it's still valid, which means what? No matter what happens through COVID or non-COVID, open churches or closed churches, what really matters is what is God doing and how is his will being fulfilled? So here I will be more specific. So let's go to the end now of 10 years after 2009. Let's go to the end of 2019 as we are approaching the new decade of what now is the 20s. So the question is, what was the Lord saying at the time over the new decade of the 20s? And I don't know if in one podcast we can cover all of it, because there are different approaches, different channels, and all of those channels are relevant and pertinent. So one of the channels has to do with what is the next stage of the Reformation 500 years after Luther. Another channel is, what is God doing with the current state of the church? And here I purposefully use the word church instead of the people of God, because it's the church in its current expression that needs to be understood as an issue that needs to be resolved. And there are more channels... Another channel has to do with what we know to be the house of prayer movement. And there are more, but I cannot cover everything. Mm -hmm. And probably I will, we will lose the, the, the audience. <laughs> they will not be able to follow. So let me briefly say about the next stage of the Reformation after 500 years. Okay. A short version of it is this. If you go through all the stages of the Reformation, so the first one was faith you know, by grace, saved. Right. right. That was the most important thing. But 
the world did not yet understand baptism in water. So then we have the next major stage in the Reformation, and we have the Anabaptist movement. Great, but still there was so much more to be reformed. So then we have Azusa Street, and we have the Holy Spirit, we have Pentecostalism arising. So now the baptism of the Holy Spirit is restored to the church. And it's not just those three leading up to the beginning of the 20th century. There were so many stages along the Reformation. Some people have looked more into it. I've, I've kept somewhere a list of many stages, some of them smaller, some of them bigger. When you go through the first 500 years, and you know many people may not like this, but like the most recent restoration, the most recent Reformation in the closing of the 500 years was the restoration of the office of the prophet back into the church, then the office of the apostle back into the church. I know many people do not un even understand or agree, but the point is God has still been at work to mm. reform and restore the original concept of what we call a church. But when you look into how the first church worked and how the present church works, there is still a huge gap. Mm, right. And there are expressions of the church which are not an expression of the early church, but an expression of the church of the Middle Ages. So we come out of the Middle Ages and we have the Reformation, but we still have the concept of church being associated with a building that has a priest and provides a program for the audience to come and participate in by observation, not by participation. Right. And that even comes from the pagan times. There were the pagan temples and the pagan priests and the pagan programs, whatever they called them. Actually, in Greek, we called them the mysteries, whatever they called them in English. And so you, you bring that into Christianity through syncretism during the Roman Empire. Then you go through the Middle Ages, then what church is, is really an expression, not of the early church, but of the pagan times. And then eventually, even through the Reformation, we come even among the evangelicals and the Pentecostals and the most charismatics and the charismaniacs included. And all you get is you need a temple, you need a platform, you need a pulpit, you need a program, and then you need the laity who come as audience and they leave as audience. Mm. And then you find no place for 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, where the Holy Spirit is through the people in the congregation manifesting for the edification of all. And then mm. you have the ministries being a function within and among the congregation for the building up of the body of Christ till we all reach the maturity that is in Christ. And we cannot find it. It's not even, there is no even an effort in the way church is done today. Why? Because all the effort is focused on how good is the program, how great is the pulpit, how successful right. is the show that satisfies the religious need of the people who come in a detached form. We are the laity that is the audience of a program. And when the program finishes, we go back home. And there are even programs to keep them busy to think that they are involved in church when they are not, in mm. effect. Right. Because the Holy Spirit cannot use them. Now, I know this is a little dramatic, but until and unless you understand what God is doing, you're missing the point. And that what God is doing is he is restoring the original concept of the ecclesia. And the ecclesia is not a church program. It's not a pulpit platform. The ecclesia is the group of people who are not in a religious form. Because when Jesus said, I will build up my ecclesia in Matthew 16, he used the word ecclesia for the first time when the religious setting of those days was synagogue. So why did he not say, I will build up my synagogue? He said, I will build up my ecclesia. But if you look at how the ecclesia was used, what the word meant, even if you see in Acts 19 in Ephesus, the merchants of Ephesus, they are called the Ecclesia. And they had nothing to do with a religious gathering. It was a political gathering. So Jesus never said, I will build up an alternative religious assembly. Right. He said, I will build up a something, the purpose of which is that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
I will build up something that will have the authority that whatever it binds on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever it loses on earth will be loose in heaven, which speaks about governmental authority. It also speaks about judicial authority. Now, I don't want to go more into teaching because then we are missing the point. What I'm saying is we have entered the season, the era of the next stage of the Reformation where God is reforming the church to turn it into an ecclesia. So basically, COVID served God's purpose in shutting down the church program and forcing his people to start coming together as people who pray and people who look at each other eye to eye and have an opportunity to pray for one another and have an opportunity to manifest the Spirit of God, mm. which is the important foundation of the ecclesia. So even, I mean, many people are against Zoom, and I can understand why, but look at the bright side of things. On Zoom, we are forced to see the other person eye to eye, and we listen to them, and we have an opportunity to have a personal encounter and get to know each other rather than seeing heads and counting numbers. Right. So, so uh, when 2020 started, when I was seeking the Lord for the new year, I was surprised by what I heard. He said, brace for impact. Hmm. Brace for impact. Yes. Uh, those are things that I have said publicly. There are videos that I have <clears throat> on YouTube. Uh, there are writing documents I've done. So basically, the, the plane that was going to crash was the plane called church. Hmm. So that's part of a process of reformation after the first 500 years. So I'm giving you a completely different picture of how God is at work as he is shaping, as he is reforming his ecclesia. And so let's, let's fast forward to today. What I hear and what I see throughout the country is people coming to Christ every week. Right. That's what I hear. That's what I see. I believe there is a visitation of God in this country. It may not be manifest everywhere. It may not be manifest in the same way everywhere. But basically, I keep hearing and I see people coming to the Lord all the time. And it's not something big. It's not something like thunder in the sky. It's just an ordinary Sunday. People go to church. Life continues. But that day, some people came to the Lord. Now, that's a big thing in the kingdom. It is. Because the salvation of one soul is a big thing for the kingdom. It's a party. Absolutely. So I'm telling you, I believe there is an undercurrent. I believe there is a revival in the States that's happening. Like when nobody's looking, when everybody's thinking what the media presents, God is at work and he's changing this nation. He's changing this country. And I agree with the things that you said about removing the chaff and everything, so I don't need to repeat it. But whatever happened during COVID served God's kingdom purposes because he will continue to advance the gospel, not only to the ends of the earth, but also across the generations, because every new generation needs to be touched by the gospel. Right. Mm, you know, and as I picture, I know um, several congregations have really continued to use COVID uh, to launch small life groups, small home churches, um, and I see that becoming more and more prevalent. A lot of it was it was it was around before COVID, um, but it didn't really take take root until COVID took place. One of the things that I that I learned when I, I years ago I went back to study why is America great. And what I discovered was in my research, and I had to go find books that were out of that were printed pre nineteen hundred, that that explained some of what was was happening. Is the the Reformation those ideas that were brought back to light? They were they were wonderful seeds, but even in the European culture, they couldn't take good root. But when they came to America and had a brand new culture where everybody was flat. We didn't, we didn't have the hierarchies of the caste systems. All of the sudden, something where prior to that, the only calling of God was to the cloth. Now I can be called to do whatever it is I'm doing. And, and in that, in, in doing whatever career I happen to have, 
I am carrying the gospel with me, whether it was Paul and, and being a tent maker or whether it's whether it's a farmer who is having coffee with some of the other farmers. Um, they are now called to do the work and that work is good. But that idea, that concept couldn't take full root in another culture, but in America it did. Um, and even some of those principles going into the how embedded they are in our banking system. The idea of uh, of bankruptcy. And America is one of the few countries that your bankruptcy can be forgiven. And and how we don't understand as Americans that the deep understanding of who God is and how he works, the understanding of the gospel is so embedded in who we are as America that we don't under we just it's it's gotten so many layers of sediment have built up um that we don't even recognize it's there anymore. Yeah, I agree with you. But definitely, I can assure you, the American civilization, I'll call it civilization, because that's what it is, literally. You need to understand it's a civilization. It's beyond a na nation. It's beyond a culture. And it's a civilization that's spreading. And it's a civilization that even Daniel has spoken about, if you have the eyes to understand what Daniel said. But it would be too big to go into that. So this civilization is really the means by which the gospel is coming to the nations. It's the civilization that one way you can think of it is the Trojan horse, that within it is the seed of the gospel that's coming forward, which is why, even though Satan is trying to do the best that he can to destroy the nation and, and cause problems and everything, however, when God chose the Jews that actually it was a nation that he created out of the nations of the earth. You know, you don't have any original race called Jews. You have Abraham, who is a Chaldean. Right. Okay? So he creates the Jews to bring the revelation of who he is to the world. Then he takes the Greeks to communicate who he is in the world. Then he uses the Roman Empire to transfer the gospel to the nations and put the seed and the root of what then becomes the Western civilization. Today, he has created the American nation, just like he originally created the Jewish nation, to continue the work of the kingdom as he continues to spread the gospel globally. So the American civilization, very much like other civilizations in previous generations, serves the advancement of the kingdom of God. And when we put our eyes on that, that everything that is happening in the world serves one purpose alone, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Then we begin to see the world with different eyes. And I think it's with those eyes that, that the listener who may fear what's happening or what they, you know, is coming down the road, whether it's a, a one world currency or whether it's um, persecution for Christians or what, whatever it is, if they recognize that they're here right now for the purpose of transferring the gospel to those that haven't heard. And, and I believe part of that is you don't get motivated to share the gospel. I don't get excited to introduce someone to you that I don't know. So as I get to know God more and I pursue God, as I pursue God, I can't not talk about him. I have to talk about him because he is so amazing. He's so great. I have to share him with you, especially if you're in a situation where I see your searching. And I think we look at a, at a lot of culture that I think a lot of Christians in America right now are looking at our culture and they're seeing it filled with sin. I look at America today and I see millions of people who are desperately searching for someone who will know them, see them, and love them. And they're looking for that love, pardon the, the 1980s song, in all the wrong places. And instead of as Christians getting mad about it um, and getting upset that our, that our culture is, decli and is declining, instead we should recognize and celebrate they're looking. Hey, let me put my hand up. I've got what you're looking for. Let me introduce you to a God who sees you, who knows everything there is to know about you, far more than you know about yourself, and he loves you 
so much that he'd give up everything for you. In fact, he did. And let's talk about that. So I think what you just gave was was a a statement of hope by by providing a different perspective. I'm I'm hoping the listener will will realize, oh, I don't have anything to fear. In fact, God has put me and the rest of the people in my community, in my state, in my country, in the place to continue to propagate the gospel. And that's what I should be doing boldly and courageously. Absolutely, yes. Wow. Share with some more what you see. I love this. This is exciting. Well. You talk about this decade. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's talk about the House of Prayer movement. Some 20 or 30 years ago, depending on where you draw the line, the concept of the House of Prayer began to become more prevalent. And I suppose you are familiar with the IHOP out of Kansas and, and how, the, the, how what they call 24-7s began to spring up everywhere around the world. Now, of course, not many of them are real 24-7s, but there have been many efforts for houses of prayer. For the, for the listener that doesn't know, share with what, what is a house of prayer? What is a 24-7? Okay, so it's the idea not of doing church the way we know how to do church, but it's the idea of people coming together to worship the Lord and to pray without necessarily preaching or following a program, without necessarily trying to reach out to anyone literally, but coming together explicitly for the purpose of worshiping God and bringing before Him whatever it is that you feel like you should pray. People coming together for prayer and worship primarily. And for that, you don't need either a structure or a program. At least that's not what's important, as opposed to the church where a structure is most important. And, and because anybody can do it in any kind of group, churches, I mean, houses of prayer uh, started springing up everywhere because anybody, everybody in their living room, they could have a gathering from just the family to, with some friends, especially if there were musicians, they could start playing music and worshiping the Lord. That eventually started growing and becoming more of a structured form that I'm, I'm not promoting, I'm just saying historically one very important big step forward was done in Kansas with the IHOP Kansas International House of Prayer, which became a sort of point of reference that then many people tried to imitate. So it was not only that particular expression, but generally the Lord began to raise up everywhere people that felt the call to have prayer meetings and worship meetings in their homes or even find places or rent places where they could come together not for a church service, but for a worship and prayer service. Hmm. Now, because many people who were part of churches, but had the calling of God to become what I would call biblically priests of God, they could not find their place in the ordinary churches because they, have n they are not useful in the ordinary churches because the ordinary churches understand program that satisfies the audience and gathers people in and maybe leads people to salvation. But right. the ordinary church has no place for priests who pray, and especially for priests who have peculiar manifestations because most of the people that are known as intercessors tend to have weird manifestations because that's how they express their worship and their prayer. And right. so eventually there began to be a separation and eventually a... Two different streams were formed, the church stream that was, and a new stream that eventually grew to become a stream of its own, the House of Prayer movement. And there are so many houses of prayer around the world functioning right now. The concept 24-7 came primarily out of Kansas because they wanted to replicate the Tabernacle of David where the worship was going on 24-7. Mm, okay. To do that, you need a lot of people. So in some places, in very few places, they do have enough people to go 24-7. In most places, you have meetings as you can. Sure. But some of those places, they call themselves 24-7, not because they are, but because they aspire to become. 
thinking and believing God will add people until they become a 24-7. At least that's the prevailing mentality. But all, all that was the description of what was happening. Right. And one of the things the Lord showed me about the new decade, and especially through the crushing of the church, you know, the plane that would fall, whereby we needed to brace for impact. Mm-hmm. One of the things that the Lord showed me is that what is beginning in this decade is the gradual merging of the two streams into one river. Because as Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. So the church that is a religious platform, but is not a house of prayer, or where there is some prayer, as long as that prayer serves the goal and the vision of the church, and it's just praying for some people, praying for salvation, but it's not really fulfilling the priestly calling that is mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul says that first of all, and the word first is very important here, it means that the number one duty, like one as one, two, three, primary. The most primary is the call of the people of God to be in prayer for all people, but also for those in governing authorities. And Paul says there, with every supplication, prayer, intercession, thanksgiving. And then he continues to verse 4 to say, because God wants all men to be saved. So, yes, eventually the purpose, the final purpose is the expansion and advancement of the kingdom of God. But on what basis on the basis of the people of God first praying. Mm. So as long as the church is focused on the platform and the program, it's missing the first call, which is to pray. Pray. So that became the number one importance in the house of prayer movement. But of course, in the house of prayer movement, there is something lacking, the teaching, the building up of the believer which can happen if a church functions properly, because many churches do not function completely. They just provide the show on Sunday and full stop. But in a proper church, there will be a systematic growth of the believers. So the point is God wants to bring a merging together of the church and the house of prayer so that the church will be also a house of prayer. And because of time, let's just... Keep it, and you know, don't say any more about it. But right. So as I see America being instrumental in the in the spreading of the gospel and in the in the fulfillment of what has to happen before Christ comes back, and I see the merging of a a very organized, structured religiosity, almost of. Uh, maybe the church in America and and potentially around the world, and starting to see that we are seeing uh, a resurgence, as you're talking about, to prayer and worship. Um, is that the th- is that what you think is kind of the theme for this portion of the of the the Reformation? Is that this decade? What- well, clearly, The main purpose of the Ecclesia, I said earlier, is the reformation of the church to become the Ecclesia of Jesus Christ, which is not a religious platform. It is a body with authority, with judicial authority, to constitute by prayer on earth what will happen in the heavenly places, Hmm. which is really how you storm the gates of Hades to get them open up. I mean, here, if I did that as a teaching, I would switch to Psalm 24, where towards the end it says, lift up your heads, O you gate, and be lifted up for the King of glory to come in. And I would explain how that is related to the Ecclesia storm in the gates of Hades. But the point is this, you cannot have an Ecclesia apart from the life of prayer, apart from the priestly duty to engage the heavenly realm in prayer. So therefore, the two really are one. It's the reformation of the church to become the true ecclesia and the merging together of the church concept, which is the platform and the pulpit, with the house of prayer concept, which is the priestly duty of worship and prayer, strategic intercession, so that God's will will be done. Listen, you may understand this a little better if I expound a bit on 1 Timothy chapter 2. And you have to understand it as a principle of transformation of the physical world in which we live. Paul says there that by the way 
that the people of God pray for the governing authorities and for all men, but not just pray, but using all the spiritual tools, because he says supplication, prayer, thanks, uh, intercession, and thanksgiving. Prayer is only one of four things mentioned. And I would argue that you don't, we don't have only those four tools. There are actually more, but Paul lists the four primary and most important tools. And supplication is really not the same as prayer. Intercession is definitely different than prayer and supplication. And thanksgiving is a tool in and of itself. But most people don't even know the difference. Why? Because these things are not practiced. And because they are not practiced, for most people, they are just words. Mm. They don't understand that they're different tools and they serve different purposes. And when they're not practiced, how can they be taught? So right. you, you just talk about prayer and then you have a selfish, self-centered concept of prayer, not realizing that God saved us for a purpose to be his royal priesthood. And that the job of the royal priesthood is to pray for the kingdom of God. And what does Paul say there? That as we do those things, we can live a godly, uh, it says there, a um, peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Now, the question is, how did Paul know that in the Roman times, in the Roman Empire? There was no reverence, there was no godliness, there was no peace and quiet. There was bloodshed, there was evil and wickedness. But Paul did not speak out of an experience of what he had already lived. He spoke out of a principle that when you look it up in the scriptures and you understand the tabernacle of David and David's kingdom, you can understand how the presence of God coming in a nation transforms the nation in such a way that there is the fear of God that changes the spiritual environment and then People can live godly lives, even though they may not be born again. Why? Because the spiritual environment does not promote violence and evil and wickedness, but it creates an atmosphere where God is at work and the values of the kingdom of God begin to prevail in the land. And then Paul continues to say, because God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So how do you connect the calling of the church to pray? to the using of the tools to engage the spirit realm, to the people living a godly life in peace and quiet, how do you connect all that with God wants all men to be saved? Because simply when the heavenly, cha the heavenly realm changes and the society has more of the kingdom of God manifesting and the angels of God are at work and heaven is open, People's eyes can be opened. People can find the truth. Whereas where there is darkness and evil and wickedness, even if people are looking for the truth, they cannot find it. And also in a place of peace and quiet, the church can thrive. The real church. The more the church thrives, the more places people can find to go in and meet with Christ. The more groups of discipleship, the more of that happening, the more people praying, the more the spiritual atmosphere changes. And on it goes, it's a circle that instead of being vicious, it's actually the opposite. It's taking us more and more into the light of God. It's life-giving. Yes. Hmm. So trying to capture the, the uh, bigger picture, you talked earlier about the macro. Um, and, and I do. I, I, for, for mathematicians, I'm a huge fan of... Um, and now I've lost the word. Okay, I'll go a different route. Um, I, I I know that God works on both the macro and the micro. And he does it at the same time. His principles that apply um, in the universe, in the, in the realm of physics, also apply inside me in my spiritual world. Um, it's It's that... No matter if you're looking at it at the macro or the micro in the individual life, and even getting down, I think we're finding that God's principles are true even in how molecules, how atoms, how elements interact with each other. Um, it's the same rules that, that he gives us to, as guiding principles. Um, so as we've gone through this, hearing a little bit about understanding how God is using the church to spread the gospel— 
how those of us that are filled with fear, um, really, I mean, fears of, fears of the destroyer because he wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy all of God's creation. I believe that his goal, his goal is to do as much damage to hurt God as much as he can, but he's powerless to hurt God. So his next step is to take what God loves most and do as much damage to that. And by, by causing pain to you and I, as a parent hurts when their child hurts, I'm sure God hears and feels my pain for when I'm, when I'm hurt. And so I think, I think the destroyer's purpose is to cause as much damage to God's favorite creation, you and me, as he can, because that's all he can do. That's his only game plan. And I think fear is one of his primary tools to do that. You can, you can call it weapon instead of tool. Uh, yeah, okay. One of his weapons is fear of, of creating that worry that causes us to distrust God and put trust in ourselves, as you mentioned, a little bit of pride, and, and start to turn inward and separate ourselves from the love of God, separate ourselves from community of the body of Christ. Um, and I think that's what he's really doing. But as you talk about it, the different perspective is while he's doing that, God continues to even use what Satan is doing. God uses that to bring about God's own purpose and his own will. And so what I hear kind of saying is that those of us in America should be encouraged, should be emboldened to, to do something. And I think it sounds like the one thing, the first, the, the primary step, the first, I, I kind of wish maybe that had been translated primary, secondary, tertiary, um, instead of one, two, three, first, second, third, um, but is to start to enter into prayer and worship with God. Mm -hmm. Is that, uh, is that kind of a summary of, of kind of where you're? Yeah. You, yeah. I would use different vocabulary slightly, but yeah, we're saying the same thing, and I believe you wrapped it up very well. So if that person is sitting here and maybe they've found that there is fear in their life and they realize they've got to step away from that fear, step into that relationship and trust with God, um, how would you and, – and they hear about this house of prayer. How would you encourage them to start to um, enter into that, those times of prayer, those times of worship with God? Listen, in our natural man, we cannot but have fear because the ultimate fear that all people have is that of death. And death eventually comes to our skin, to our flesh, to our carnal man. And death manifests in our carnal man in many ways, like through accidents, through illnesses, through the corruption that comes through time. So the power of death is in our body. However, when we pray, we learn to connect through our heart with the Spirit of God. And that transcends this world and the carnal man and brings a different perspective in the perspective of the kingdom, the perspective of, of the eternal dimension. And it also brings in, you know, I, I'll just quote, have you heard of the expression eternity in their hearts? Mm. So when we pray, we tap into the eternity that is in our hearts. We tap into the dimension of eternal destiny. We tap into what we were born to be. Because mm. we were born eventually in the long term to be spiritual beings when we will have been freed from our carnal habitat, the habitat that is made of clay. And, and Paul said uh, in 2 Corinthians, if you read chapters 4, chap chapter 5, he says that I actually desire to be free from this body of clay, this body of death, so that I can put on the eternal habitat, which is not made by hands. And, and so if we are afraid to get rid of this natural body of clay, then it has a grip on us. If we are happy to become free from it, then obviously it cannot hold us back. The only way we can, dis we can discover the eternity that is in our heart, the only way we can discover that place, which in Ephesians 2, 6 is the, the, the status that we are seated together with Jesus in heavenly places, 
But in reality, we do not know what it means. Why? Because we need to make the transition through prayer. And so when we embrace that life of prayer and we learn how to be detached from the reality of this world because we tap into the eternal dimension of which our spirit man comes to which our spirit man will return when we become free from this earthly habitat of clay, then we have a different perspective. And then, I mean, imagine someone who is at the closing stage of their lives. Okay, imagine death is imminent for whatever reason. There will be fear, what will happen to me when I die? But if this person prays, and moreover, when such a person has an encounter with Jesus, and this is a fact that many people who pray before they die, they have encounters with Jesus. And then there is a different dimension. Even my father, before he passed, he had an encounter with Jesus. And my brother was asking him, what happened? And my father, with tears in his eyes, he said, Jesus came and spoke to me, and he said that he loved me. And my brother asked him, what else did he say? And he said, he said that he loves all of us. And, and, and the mother of my mother, before she died, she also had an encounter where a man dressed in white came to her. So suddenly another dimension opens up and suddenly the carnal man is, is nothing. Hmm. Suddenly you, you, you realize I'm actually going to the real place, to the real world, where I, where I come from, where I'm going to return. And so through the life of prayer, we can overcome the power of this world, which is by the power of death to hold us if we love our flesh too much. Mm. We must take care of our flesh, but we must not be bound by it. Mm. And so I think a, a part of what we're talking about is that prayer along with continual reading of the scriptures. And, and if we go back to uh, the previous episode um, where you shared your story, um, we're talking about that prayer and, and time with the scripture, interacting with that leads to a communion with God that again and again and again, as we continue to spend more and more time in his presence, we develop that more intimate relationship. And that's done individually but also corporately and coming together to to study his scripture both by yourself and pray and worship intercession uh you gave the list of four there um in the sake of time I'll just press rewind go back and listen to it again but as we do that individually then come together as as by the body of Christ whether it's in my my living room or my backyard whether that's in Maybe my boardroom, maybe that's in the conference room at the place where I work, or or maybe it's in a room in the public library. Um, but I hear you are, are encouraging Americans to engage with God in this relationship through prayer and worship and study of his scripture and coming together, um, not just in the formal that we see on, on traditionally Sundays in America, that we as Americans, I think, have so much placed uh, our our trust in that if we go to church on Sundays and if we go to church enough, we'll have a good country. But if we want a good country, it's not about the church. It's not about the building. It's about people encountering and being in relationship with our creator, the lover, the author of our souls, the man who stitched us, the, the man, the, the one who stitched us together in our mother's womb, the one who knows the hairs on our head and and more than that in my case the hairs on my arms and and my 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 back if i could say that um he knows all that and he loves me anyway and i encourage the listener i guess at this point if you're not if if you're wrapped up in fear if you're not engaged with god at this point i encourage you to engage and it can start with just, you don't have to get down on your knees. You don't have to get any formal posture other than a posture of, hey, God, I realize you're bigger than I am. And I realize that there's more to this than I understand, but I just want to be a part of it. I want to be in relationship with you 
teach me what I need to do next. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to, to let go of my own control and be just to be in relationship with you so that I can be a part of what you're doing. Do you have any last words for our listeners? Lord, I pray that those who have listened, if they turn their eyes to you, they will see you. If they open their hearts to you, you will fill them. If they ask you questions, they will receive the answers. Lord, I pray that if there are people who have listened and they do not know you, if they, if they ask that they come to know you, they will that they may have a living relationship with you as we have here to which you have invited every person in this world if only they would accept the gift that you're offering to them for free, the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ and the atoning work that he did on the cross when he died to take the curse and lead us from death to life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This has been the Who is God podcast. I am Thaddeus Funk. Thank you for listening. Um, and I hope that this, uh, this time has been impactful for you as much as it has been for me. You've been listening to the Who is God podcast. Join the discussion on Facebook or Instagram. This podcast has been brought to you by Tacklebox Studios. Tacklebox Studios is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. This podcast has been made possible by generous support from individuals like you. If you found this meaningful, please let us know. Donations can be mailed to Tacklebox Studios, 285 South 68th Street Place, Suite 320, Lincoln, Nebraska, 68510.